Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Thursday, August 11th, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut is Taylor Schwink. Sarah Abbott's working from Bristol. I'm Buster Only working from Vermont. There was big news in Detroit yesterday. Al Avila, the vice president and general manager of the Detroit Tigers, was fired. And uh, Avila, of course, uh, took over from Dave Dombrowski years ago. In recent years, the Tigers have been trying to build up uh, to 2022. They spent a lot of money in the offseason. It didn't work out well. They've really struggled this year. Javier Baez has been a disappointment. Uh, We'll be talking about that with Carl Ravitz coming up and talking about something that the owner of the Tigers said. Chris Tillich said something I thought was absolutely crazy. The Atlanta Braves called up top prospect Vaughn Grissom to the majors with Orlando Arcia going on the disabled list. And this is how he started his career. There's a fly ball to deep left. Vaughn Grissom back to the monster. How about that? Vaughn Grissom, welcome to the big leagues. A homer over the monster on the Lansdowne Street. And the 21-year-old is floating around the base paths right now. What a night! That from the Braves radio network. The Braves beat up the Red Sox in this game. Grissom gets a couple hits, and afterward he spoke with Kelly Krull. So now describe what that trip around the bases felt like after you watched your ball go over the monster. I didn't feel a thing. <laughs> I didn't feel one thing. No, I hit it. I, I literally I blacked out until I saw my head, my first to base coach, and we made lock eyes. And I just started laughing. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this actually paid off. I was just uh, super shocked. It was just what a moment, you know. I didn't know what to think except wow. So I'll talk, be talking with Carl Ravage coming up about the strategy the Braves had in making this promotion at this time. Mets face the Reds, and they took care of business with help from Daniel Vogelbach. Here it is, and it's pulled towards first. Fair ball beyond the reach of a diving Votto down the line. Caroms off the jutting stands. Nimmo is in. Lindor is in. Vogelbach is at second, and the Mets now lead 9-2. to two. Howie Rose on WCBS. The Mets just keep on rolling. Brewers, Rays, two teams trying to fight for a playoff spot. And Willie Adamas, former Ray, got some revenge. And the 1-0 pitch. Willie, ground ball, left side. That's going to get through. Taylor around third. The throw to the plate is going to be late. And the Brewers walk off the Rays. Willie Adamas walks off his former club. That from 620 WTMJ. Mariners and the Yankees in an afternoon game. They had split the first two games of the series. And Seattle had a 1-0 lead top of the seventh inning when this happened. Another 3-2. is drilled to left center field. Kelnick on the run. That ball is gone. A two-run homer for Kyle Higashioka. The Yankees finally dent the scoreboard and take a 2-1 lead. Yeah, that was Ryan Rucco on the Yes Network. So it was 2-1. There were two outs. First base was open, and the Mariners pitched to Aaron Judge. Here's Judge, who absolutely annihilates that ball. My goodness, he's done it again. Aaron Judge with his 45th home run of the season. It is August 10th. And Aaron Judge is ahead 
of Roger Maris's 61 pace. Home run number 45 on the year for Aaron Judge. But you know what? The Mariners would come back. Infield pulled around to the right. And he drives one right field. That ball is going back. Giddy up. Gone. Home run. Carlos Santana. And the Mariners have a 4-3 lead. Carlos breaks it 0 for 17 with home run number 11. And the Mariners. Man, are they chopping it up here at T-Mobile Park. And that would be the final score, 4-3. to That was Dave Sims on Seattle Sports, 7-10 a.m. After the game, Aaron Boone talked about blowing the lead. You know, just a little tough putting those guys away. France kind of punch one the other way, get just getting it by. And then and I think it was 3-2 to, to uh, Hanniger, too, where it looked like he kind of hung the slider up there a little bit. So I don't, I don't know if I noticed much off other than, you know, those last two guys obviously just having a hard time putting them away. Nestor Cortez talked about the team struggles. I think it's pretty neutral, honestly. Um, we obviously know we're struggling. Um, we could probably be playing a little better, but I think uh, the guys here understand. You know, we're we're still at the top, and we just you know get, gotta get over the skid and hopefully get get back on track. On Wednesday, the Padres fell behind the Giants, but then they came back with a vengeance. Marte deals, and this pitch is hammered to left field. It's way back. Gonna go! Three-run home run, Brandon Drury. A line shot towards the first balcony of the Western Metal Building. And the seesaw goes back in the Padres' favor. They lead 9-7. That from 97.3, the fan. The Padres win 13-7 in that game. Look, because the Mets are playing so great, no one's really noticing what the Phillies are doing. They're on a roll. Kyle Schwarber got a big hit in the bottom of the eighth inning with Philadelphia trailing 3-2. Here's the pitch. Swung on, ripped into right. It's a base hit. The game is tied. Marsh around second, headed for third. He's going to stop there. Kyle Schwarber with his third hit of the night. And it's 3-3 here at the bottom of the eighth. And that rally would continue. Alcantara ready and deals. And it's swung on. Driven through the left side. It's a base hit. The Phillies lead it. Schwarber scores, and J.T. Romuto comes through in the bottom of the eighth inning. Three runs across in the eighth, and the Phillies lead 4-3. to three. Scott Fransky with those calls in Sports Radio 94 WIP. The final score would be Phillies 4, Marlins 3. Cardinals and Rockies and Albert Pujols reached another milestone. We tried again on one and two. Here's a pitch to Pujols, and he sends that deep to left. Going back is Daza. This one is gone. One more closer to 700. Back-to-back home runs, Arenado and Pujols. 8-2 to two Cardinals. Yep, that was home run number 687 for Albert Pujols. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, an important piece of housekeeping here. Uh, we've had many listeners tweet at us with issues about the pod and kind of episodes bleeding into each other and episodes restarting. It's all very strange. I'm sorry. I don't really have a good answer for what's going on right now. Um, the best I can offer as we work behind the scenes to figure it out, it would be to unsubscribe from the podcast and then resubscribe. Um, you can also clear your cache. I think you can do that in Spotify um, or delete the file out and redownload it. Um, just a couple kind of basic things. If you know things aren't working out for you, we're trying to get this together. I don't really know what the issue is um, and neither do our uh, 
our uh, friends we've been working with, but we're, we will get to the bottom of it for sure. A uh, couple other things to note here. Uh, Omaha podcasts abound, including not just football with Cam Hayward. Each week, fans get a peek behind the curtain of NFL life with uh, Pittsburgh Steelers defensive tackle and five-time Pro Bowler Cam Hayward giving his unfiltered thoughts on the league and headlines across all sports. That's not just football with Cam Hayward. Listen to that wherever you get your podcasts. And tonight, catch the final episode of The Captain at 9 p.m. Eastern. And uh, you can stream all those episodes on ESPN+. Plus. Houseful of Yankees fans, I was with them this week and they all endorsed it. Check it out. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Train with Carl Ravage. And Carl Ravage, the Rabby Train, will be parked in Boston this weekend because on Sunday Night Baseball, we will have the Yankees against the Red Sox. Carl Ravage, play-by-play man on Sunday Night Baseball. Rabbi, how you doing? I'm doing really well. A uh, little different approach to Sunday, I think. It's kind of weird. You have one team that's great and another team bordering on the brink of extinction. Uh, but it's the Red Sox-Yankees, and we'll see. Anything can happen. You know, anything can happen. Yeah, and we're kind of at the cusp of, you know, you went through this really busy period in the month of July. You had the draft, you had the derby, uh, you know, and then we go on and we do the first game of the second half. We got Dodgers, uh, and then, you know, you go to <laughs> go to Cooperstown for Tim, and then the next day you got the Mets, and then and Max Scherzer on a, on a Wednesday night. It went on and on and on. Then we had the trade deadline, and then you get a bit of a breather, but now you're going back into it because I know you got the Little League World Series coming up. I was going to say, the next time we speak, 
I'll be in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. We're getting a little flavor for all these kids. And, you know, I've watched a lot of the telecast so far, and I understand that we emphasize the joy and the fun and the sportsmanship. And I sometimes I think we, we overlook just how darn good these kids are at playing baseball. I mean, they are they're really skilled, and they're skilled in a lot of different ways. You know, we get excited by the bigger kid who can throw it hard. There's a lot of other kids that can catch it, that can go the other way. I think sometimes we tend to overlook the beauty of the game of baseball and how well it's played at that level by these 10, 11, and 12-year-olds. They, they are really, they're really excellent at the sport, and we are all interested in the sport. We all love baseball. If it's not working at the youth level, it's not going to work very well at the next level and then the next level and then the major league level. So I, I, I just don't want to look past how good these kids are at playing baseball. It's really, really impressive. You know, what's really cool for you, Carl, is that, you know, uh, you've done the Little League World Series for a long time. You've done the College World Series for a long time. And so you have context for a lot of the guys that you wind up seeing in the big leagues. Hundred <laughs> like, percent. Give me, no, give me an no example doubt. of a, a little league. You're like, okay, yeah, we'll we'll be checking back with him in about ten years. Well, I know. I mean, like this recent trade deadline, Robert Hassel was a little leaguer, and you know he was one of the primary names that was involved in the Soto trade. You know, you've seen them. You see a lot of these kids end up at the collegiate level. There was a kid from uh, Cumberland Valley, Pennsylvania, a big left-hander a few years ago, who's now playing for Georgia, who's got a real good chance to end up in the major league. So there's no question that there are those that that are able to trickle up, if you will, as opposed to trickle down. Um, And it's not always that way. I mean, there's no doubt you look at kids and you'd be like, oh my gosh, that kid is fantastic. And then as everyone else either catches up to them in their height or their ability, they, they become part of the group. When they stand out as 12-year-olds, it's easy to say, well, there's a future major leaguer. But, but many of them end up doing that. You know, we just did the Dodger game. Bellinger was one of those kids that in 2007 was playing for Chandler, Arizona. And he, of course, has been a, a very, very good major league player. So there is there really that neat connection. And whether they go to college and you continue from little league to college to the pros, or they just jump from from you know youth baseball into professional baseball without the college stop. There is a connection, and it is an advantage. Trey Turner, uh, Carlos Rodon were the collegiates at North Carolina State when they were in the College World Series. So all of that exists, and all of that does put me in an advantageous position to sit up there in a catbird seat above Lomity Stadium and look down and say, I who knows, ten years from now, maybe maybe calling you on a Sunday night baseball game. Yep. Uh, and advanced fans can keep that in mind too, as they're watching the games thinking, you know what, just, you know, to stick that name away, stick Todd Frazier's name away because you never know if he's going to wind up in the big leagues. All right. Yesterday, uh, Al Avila, general manager of the Tigers was fired. I don't think this was a surprise, Carl. He's been in that job a long time. They went through the tanking phase. They cut the, you know, cut way down. This was supposed to be a year of growth. I was among those who was talking them up and saying, it looks like the the Tigers are going to take a big step forward, and instead it's been a complete dud. What do you think? Well, I, I can't agree with you more, and I thought I thought A.J. Preller was uh, – I'm sorry, A.J. Hinch was going to be one of the really important pieces there. It just felt like the right decisions were made. They had the proper personnel. They got exciting when they had Baez there, although I think you're going to look, we may look back on that and, and wonder, you know, why the commitment and why 
Javier Baez, just given what they were trying to continue to do. Uh, there, there's a fundamental aspect to a lot of the teams that do really well. And I think in the end, you know, the personnel decisions they made and ultimately Illich is responsible for all of it. Uh, didn't pan out. They, they appeared to be going in the right direction at one point, And then they sort of slowed down and they, they committed a lot of money to certain players who it didn't, it, it just didn't work out. And obviously the, there is the, you know, the elephant in the room has been one of the better stories for them this year with the milestones and Miguel Cabrera. But relative to the division, it felt like, you know, the Guardians might be taking a step back and what are the Twins? And look, the Twins have proven to be a very good baseball team. Terry Francona's teams never lose. And the Javier Baez, Eduardo Rodriguez deals didn't work out. The, the other part of it, I will say, I mean, they got hurt. You know, they've had a lot of a lot of injured, especially the young players. We were all excited. Casey Mize, another great example you call the College World Series you're waiting for him to appear. Spencer Torkelson, uh, they've, they've dealt with injuries. So there's a whole, you know, it's a combination. It's not one thing. It's not Avila. It's not A.J. Hinch. But they, they never got it rolling downhill where you could add on and figure, here we go. We're, we're ready. It's like the Mariners. Like they're, they're like the opposite of the Seattle Mariners. Yeah, you said something that stuck out to me. You, you mentioned that uh, Chris Illich, their owner, is ultimately responsible for it. You know who disagrees with you? Chris Illich. Probably Chris Illich. Here's the quote <laughs> that he gave yesterday, and this jumped out of me because I, I, you know, again, I always couch these as if I was his friend, I would say, you need to take a look in the mirror because <laughs> what Carl Rabbit just said on the podcast is 100% right. You as owner are ultimately responsible his quote yesterday when he was asked about the trades of Justin Verlander and J.D. Martinez in 2017, his response to that question about those trades, which didn't work out for the Tigers, was, I didn't trade those players away. Our general manager did. Al did. Carl, I'm sorry. If you're trading away a guy on a Hall of Fame trajectory like Justin Verlander was at that time, or J.D. Martinez, who was probably at that moment the best pure hitter in baseball, and you're the owner of the team, you are ultimately responsible, and you know th- those trades are not made in a vacuum. General managers just don't, you know, wake up one day and call their owner and say, "Oh yeah, by the way, I traded Justin Verlander." Doesn't happen that way. No, no. Um, and look, I think the more current example of that is going to be how the learners and Mike Rizzo are viewed in trading away Juan Soto. Is Mike? Is the way that Illich said that about his general manager is the Lerner family going to say about Mike Rizzo? I didn't trade away Juan Soto; he did. Right. And I, 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 I don't, I don't think they're going to say that. But obviously, they're very involved in all of those things. I get the whole new ownership is coming into Washington, et cetera. Um, but that's that's kind of where I would go with with that. Just in a an example that other people can compare with what's going on right now. Uh, I don't know. The Washington Nationals, as we have discovered, have traded away or lost Scherzer, Turner, Strasburg's been hurt, obviously, Rendon, Soto, Harper. Like, I, 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 I don't know. That's the own. That's the general manager's fault for moving all those guys. There's, there's some reason that a general manager is moving the Verlanders of the world or the Sotos of the world. There's a reason. Right. And ownership is the one that is well aware of what's going on inside that room and encouraging it. Yep, I, 
I get it. Don't, you know, so yeah, I Buster, that's I'm a hundred percent with you, especially those types of decisions. I'm sorry. Yeah. And if, and if Chris Illich actually didn't have anything to do with the Verlander trade, then my advice to him as a friend would be, well, you should be involved because you're the stinking owner of the team. And Justin Verlander is a really important player. And if you were involved, then just admit it because that's how it works. And it just, it, it seemed like a, a, you know, unnecessary finger pointing and when what he told reporters yesterday. And I think ultimately the team's going to be better if everybody's in a position to have responsibility, takes responsibility. All right. Yeah. So this weekend, uh, Red Sox and Yankees, and in watching the Yankees as they go through this recent slide, Carl, one thing I'm I'm absolutely convinced of. Uh, look, I you know they're still a great team, and they're going to make the playoffs. They're going to win the American League East. But Carl, they need home field advantage, and the tight you know the the fact that the Astros now, uh, you know, now they're in a position where it's basically going to be a battle down the stretch. That's not a great thing for the Yankees because when you look at the recent history, 2017, eliminated in a game seven in Houston, 2019, eliminated in a game six in Houston, 2021, they lose a wild card game in Boston. I think this is a big deal that they get home field. What do you think? Uh, Yes, I, I I don't think I'm as sold on it as you are. I, when you said they need home, I was like, so hold on. What they need is Giancarlo Stanton to get healthy. Yeah, <laughs> They really need Michael King to come back, and that's not happening after surgery. They, they need their bullpen to be what it once was, and it's not. They need somebody other than Aaron Judge to hit. I, I think home, I think if all else were equal and they were whole, there have been many times this year, Buster, where I've looked at them and I said, but I don't care what part they're playing in. They're the better team. They're going to win. If they have a lead after six innings, they win the game. And I wouldn't, I really wouldn't care if they were playing in Houston, uh, you know, or Chicago or Los Angeles. It, it wouldn't matter. This, this to me is a depleted team. And I know Aaron Boone talked to them and said, look, the people in this room are what's going to get us to win this thing. That's what we have. This is it. But now they're relying on the Efroses and the Wandy Peraltas. And as we saw Abreu yesterday, there's different guys coming out of the bullpen. There are not the same people in the batting order. Rizzo's back. Stanton's been out. All of those things, to me, contribute to, if you will, in the short term, a decaying tooth. It can be fixed. They can get healthy. We can go to the dentist and we'll be as strong as we once were, short of the bullpen, which to me is a very big part of where they're at right now. But home field is just another layer on a seven-layer cake. And to me, it's not the top one. It's probably somewhere in the third or fourth area. Uh, I, they're just not the same group of players that we saw that was on pace to you know, win 115 to 120 games. They're not. Before I follow up on uh, something you mentioned about Aaron Judge, uh, I want to ask you about the Red Sox. Do you think they dig themselves out of this or no? No. I mean, it's just, you know, as we as we looked at the standings in the National League and the American League wildcard teams, there are, in the in the National League, there are basically th- three, four teams playing for three spots. You have, you have Philadelphia, San Diego, Milwaukee, and Atlanta – but it's really Philadelphia, San Diego, and Milwaukee, three teams currently playing for two spots. The, the other league is, a me- is just a mess. I mean, you have 
You have between Chicago, Minnesota, Tampa Bay, Baltimore. I don't think the Red Sox are, are in that group. They're five games out. You'd have to leapfrog Chicago, Minnesota, and either Tampa Bay or Baltimore. The beautiful part about us looking forward to the American League wildcard, Seattle, Baltimore, Tampa Bay all have 52 losses today. Minnesota's got wow. 53. I mean, the White Sox are sitting there with 55, and the Red Sox are at 58. I've just, if you watch them, and I watch them almost every night, I flip between the three teams, the Mets, the Yankees, and the Red Sox, because we have them, and then I'll go watch the late games on, on the iPad. There's a, there's just a there's a flatness about the Red Sox at the other teams that we're watching, Baltimore for sure, Seattle for sure, Tampa Bay. There's an energy about them. I don't even see the energy with the White Sox that I see with those teams I just mentioned. I just don't see it with the Red Sox. I've never seen Alex Cora sort of so flatlined as I do now. And they had a chance last night, and Bogarts hit a little squibber to first base and. If there was, you know, if there was air in the balloon, it was minimal, and it was like somebody stepped on the rest of the air in the balloon, and that was it. So I, I don't see them. I don't. Yeah, see them and I, one back. of the dominoes that I'm convinced uh, has led to that is how the, all the contract stuff has been handled this year. It has not been good. The you know the whole question hanging over the team: how much are they going to spend? It's amazing if Bogarts opts out of the deal. The only uh, significant deals that they have going forward are for Chris Sale and for Trevor Story. They have one more year, Matt Barnes. Carl, besides that, the Boston Red Sox, besides what's left on Sale and Story and Barnes, have no other financial obligations going forward. That's unusual for a big market team like the like the Red Sox. All right, uh, I, I want to ask you about Aaron Judge. Yesterday, we saw another example of this. Uh, Seattle, uh, when Kyle Agashioka hit a home run, they were down by two runs or two outs. There's nobody on base, and here comes Aaron Judge. And I've just been assuming all year when we've asked the question, will he get to 60 home runs, I've answered time and again on the show, Get Up, uh, no, I don't think he's going to get there because eventually he's going to get the Barry Bonds treatment. Eventually they're going to pitch around him. Eventually he'll start to get intentional walks. Carl, it's not happening. I don't get it. <laughs> like the last 21 games <laughs> – Aaron Judge has 14 home runs, 14 home runs the last 21 games. He's got a slugging percentage over 1,000. He has a ridiculous OPS. He's hitting like 450. Why would you pitch to Aaron Judge? And You know, I asked uh, friend Paul Ambikides that question beginning of the week, and he's going to be on in just a second with some more numbers. But we're seeing the lowest rate of intentional walks since 1930. And I, I would tell, you know, to use the uh, – the affectionate uh, you know, words of our old friend Kevin Towers when he referred to the stats analysts in front offices, I would go back to the propeller heads and say, you guys might want to take a look at this because it doesn't make any sense. The Mariners in that spot last night, they're behind, they're two outs, you could walk Judge, instead they pitch to him, and he hits a home run. I don't get it, Carl. Right. Well, I'll play, I'll play, what did you call them, propeller heads? That's what Kevin Towers, he would always refer very affectionately. He didn't mean it as a – he just meant to describe right. that group of people in front offices. All right, so I'll, uh, using that term as affectionately as you would your own child, the propeller heads <laughs> will tell you, the reason we pitch to Aaron Judge is because when we have all the answers to the test, how do we get this guy out? If you execute your pitch, he won't hit a home run. And what we're sort of living in right now is when you miss by a hair, Aaron Judge is putting it over the wall. Aaron Judge isn't lining one into the gap. 
he's putting it over the wall. Um, and I think that I think that's why it's not a question of we can't get. I, I'm telling you what I think those people's answers are going to be. It's not that we can't get him out. It's that we just are failing on executing the game plan. We we know where his weakness is. If you throw this pitch in this location, <laughs> he won't hit it out. And the problem is there are where I think the the wonderful propeller heads will will be pushed back on is. All of that is great, but we're not dealing with robots. We're dealing with humans. Roddy Ray threw a pitch to Kyle Higashioka. You see what he said after the game? I, I have no. no problem. I made the perfect pitch. What I thought was it was on the outside rail. It was up, and lo and behold, he, he got it. He was out in front of it, and he hit it over the wall. I'm doing that all the time. Now, I don't. there's no comparison between... Kyle and Aaron. That's not the point. The point is, I think the pitchers are armed with so much information and told, if you do this, you are going to succeed nine out of ten times. I I hear what you're saying. Aaron Judge doesn't homer nine out of ten times. Um, And having lived through Barry Bonds in the 73 season, it it still doesn't feel quite the same where you were surprised when Barry didn't homer. I'm not surprised when Aaron gets up and doesn't homer, but yes, it, it is. It's a remarkable rate that he's on. It certainly feels like if you're going to be stubborn and assume that if you make your pitch, he's not going to hit it out. We're giving way too much credit to the human part of this and the pitcher who's trying to do that. Let, let's. I mean, I can just sit in Buck Showalter's office and hear him say, "All right, wait a minute. So you're telling me if." If we go out and we execute this pitch down and away to Aaron Judge in a one-run game with 50,000 people screaming, we're going to get him out. Do you understand what the 50,000 people screaming do to a human being? Do you understand what the situation in a game does to a human being? We don't have a robot out there on the mound who can block all of the human emotion, the human element out of it. We have a person. And you're telling me if he can dot the you know dot the uh, the butt of a mat with a pitch, then we're going to succeed, and that's what we're going to rely on. Uh, I think at some point they're going to move the needle and say we're going to pitch really carefully, or we're just not going to do it. But it goes back to my original point you asked a while ago. The Yankees need home field advantage, but it's down on the list. They, they need they need protection. They need Giancarlo Stanton back. They need Rizzo to start hitting the ball over the wall again. But I, that's where I go with the reason they still pitch to Aaron Judge. Yeah, and I think it really does come down to situations. Like, I'm not advocating that when Judge comes up in the first inning, they intentionally walk him. What right, I am saying right. is that when you're already down a run and they're two outs yep. and you have Anthony Rizzo on deck coming off, you know, five off days, six off days because of a back issue, having struggled in previous plate appearances, you know what? There's no shame in saying, I'd rather pitch to Anthony Rizzo than that guy. Hitting, 100%. seemingly, uh, you know, uh, t- uh, two home runs every three days, and he's he just crushing the ball. We had a si- situation on Sunday night, Carl, that Padres, you know, they're down four runs. Uh, they have two outs. They have first base open, and Freddie Freeman is at the plate. And, okay, Will Smith is on deck. He's an all-star. Uh, he's a terrific player. Mm-hmm. Freddie Freeman's at the plate against a right-handed reliever. He's, ridiculous. he's ridiculously hot, and you're like, I'm sorry. That's not going to turn out well, and guess what? It didn't. He flared a hit. Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. I, some of these decisions, 
I think they got to go back and look at the situations and apply those. Uh, real quick, I, I've kept you a long time. Give me uh, 45 seconds on Vaughn Grissom, uh, who was promoted yesterday by the Braves. You know, they don't know what's going to happen with Ozzie Albies. Uh, they expect that he'll be back in mid-September. But I think it's smart calling up the kid from A, see if he can play. Uh, and if Ozzie Albies doesn't come back seamlessly from his injury, this guy might be someone who can help. Well, look, anytime somebody is considered a top prospect and they don't get a chance in the year that they are the top prospect, it, it, it's frustrating for me. Um, I think he was, you know, a 320 hitter. He had a bunch of RBIs. He stole bases. He had, what, 13, 14 homers. Um, I, I think what I read, when I read your comment, it, it does feel like there's a bit of a security blanket thing going on here. There's an awareness that the Albies recovery may not be, it doesn't say it's not, but may not be going as, as quickly as we would have liked. We're not exactly sure. And geez, if there's an organization that's succeeded by bringing in new blood, whether it's trades last year or, or prospects this year, it worked. Why would we not go to another, that well again? And if it's a prospect from our system, even better, Austin Riley's the best player on their team with all due respect to Acuna this year. Although Ronald is starting to show that he's back to where he once was. Uh, I loved it. I loved the homer. I loved the bat flip. I loved the family and friends that were there. It was, it was all a wonderful moment. And I think the two things we've learned from two of these teams in the National League, the Dodgers bring players up. They look like they should be all-stars. They send them back after they hit two home runs in a game or steal bases. The Braves are another one of those where it feels like you know, Alex and company continue to, to just, just press the right buttons. They pull the right lever, and the guys that they trade for or bring up deliver. Grissom's homer was really, really neat to watch. And I, his reaction and the reaction of the folks in the stands was unbelievable. I loved it. It was great. Yeah, and the name Dana Brown comes up again. Exactly. Grissom was a 11th-round draft pick by the Braves in 2019. Yet another guy who's come out of the Braves system to have an impact. All right, Ravi, uh, I will see you at Fenway. See you soon. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Jumping into the numbers. This is Hembo Knows on Baseball Tonight. In Hembo, of course, is Paul Ambikidi. He's a researcher at ESPN. Uh, a honcho on the show, Get Up. He tells us he's the head honcho. So you have the starch. You have the stature, Hembo, to explain mm. a question I've been asking all week on the podcast. What's happening with intentional walks, and why aren't people pitching around Aaron Judge right now? Because I don't get it. Well, look, Buster, I'm not really able (laughs) to provide you a cogent explanation for that because I've not yet heard one. But what I can do is contextualize why 
across the league should be pitching around Aaron Judge almost like he's Barry Bonds from 2001. Consider some of these numbers, okay? Since the All-Star break, Aaron Judge is slashing 400, 533, 96. That's uh, an OPS buster of 15, 19. Those are video game numbers. Every other Yankee, if you just take the collective slash line of every one of his teammates over that time, it's 220, 97, 368. In other words, Yankees are the Pirates plus Aaron Judge over the last month. There is no obvious reason why any opposing pitcher should be afraid of anyone else in that lineup right now. He's got 17 homers in the seventh inning or later. 17. Buster, no other player in the sport has more than 10. As you asked me to look up earlier this week, he is not only the best hitter this year against fastballs, he's also the best hitter in the baseball this year against breaking pitches. Look, I understand that every uh, pitching coach in the sport now believes that because probably, A, Aaron uh, Judge strikes out just often enough to justify pitching to him, and every one of your relievers has unbelievable stuff that's capable of striking him out, I guess the prospect of pitching to him is tantalizing. But when you consider the wreckage that he is sort of uh, instilling on the league this year, and the fact that his teammates aren't picking up their end of the bargain, at least over the last few weeks, this guy should be intentionally walked once every other game or so. But like we've seen across the sport right now, the rate of doing that is the lowest it's been in a season since 1930. So this is not just an Aaron Judge thing. This is a league-wide trend. Yeah, it's an extension of, of the, no question, sort of how the analytics, uh, the analytical argument is, is that, you know, intentional walk is a, not a good play. Um, mm. You know, we had that, that great example in 2019, the Houston Astros is analytically driven to, with success as any team didn't issue an intentional walk the entire season. The first one was Juan Soto in the World Series. But to me, Hembo, yesterday's game was the perfect opportunity to a perfect situation where you'd say, you know what, we're, we're just not going to pitch to him. Aaron Judge comes up. The Yankees are leading 2-1. to one. It's in, the I think, the seventh inning. Uh, there are two outs. And the guy on deck, Anthony Rizzo, is playing in his first game after missing almost a week with a back issue. He had not gotten a hit earlier in the day. And, and that, to me, was a moment you're like, you know what, with two outs, down a run, my goal is to keep it at just a one-run deficit. I'm walking this guy, and I'm going after Anthony Rizzo with two outs. You agree with me? I agree with you. What, what we saw yesterday in that game, and I was watching this live, was malpractice. I mean, uh, to throw Aaron Judge a cement mixer early in the count like that was completely ridiculous. Likewise ridiculous is the fact that there are something like 25 players, 25 players in the sport this year that are seeing a lower percentage of pitches in the strike zone than Aaron Judge, who is having as good a season as any player in the last 15 or 20 years when it comes to hitting the ball out of the ballpark. I, I don't look, I don't get it either. Yes, teams are more analytically inclined now. Their pitchers have better stuff than ever. I think the sort of elephant in the room here is that Aaron Judge strikes out just enough, once again, just enough to sort of <laughs> almost tantalize your pitching staff into believing that you can strike him out this time. But invariably, once every few days, he hits the ball out of the park, makes you look awful, and has been the biggest reason why the Yankees are winning as many games as they are. Of course, that's not been you know uh, quite to the same extent lately, but I'm with you here, Buster. It is yet to be uh, uh, properly explained to me why Aaron Judge is not being pitched around uh, much more so. Yeah, yeah, you think of it like you're walking past two rattlesnakes, right? you got the big, massive rattlesnake that's been nailing people all over the place in the leg. And, yeah, if you make the exact right steps, you can step around that rattlesnake. Uh, and, you know, and, and you'll be have success doing that. 
Uh, and behind that rattlesnake is a smaller rattlesnake that isn't nearly as dangerous. And you could, you, the alternative is to veer wide and and avoid the first rattlesnake altogether. It's mm-hmm. not even close. Like, I don't get it. Uh, yeah, that, it's not, it's, the explanation yeah, it's not makes close. Sense? Yes. Uh, wonderful rattlesnake analogy. I'll, I'll use, <laughs> look, I work on get up. I'm going to make an NFL analogy here. We see Aaron Judge is a home run hitter. It's not like pitching to Aaron Judge. You're putting yourself at the risk of a single or double. You're putting yourself at the risk of allowing a home run that greatly swings the win probability of the game. If Tyreek Hill is in single coverage on the outside, yeah, maybe the last nine routes he's run, he hasn't been targeted. But on that 10th route, if he pops the lid off, it's six points. Those six points could be all the difference in the world. That's why Aaron Judge should be pitched around because any swing of the bat can change the whole complexion of the game. That's why. That's why Aaron Judge should be pitched around. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why he's not being. All right. The Orioles, in your eyes, have their best player since Cal Ripken Jr. Who's that? That player buster is Adley Rutschman. Now, you might tell me, hold my horses, and that we've not seen enough. But look, you know Cal Ripken Jr. is my favorite ball player ever, so I don't take this lightly. But no. I genuinely view this kid as an absolute prodigy who will likely be the face of this franchise for decades to come. So he was hitting 143 for, through his first 15 games. He got off to a slow start. But has since become genuinely one of the best players in baseball over the last two months. Both of the numbers are staggering. Since June the 10th, he owns a 292, 410, 516 slash line, 64% above the league average during that time. You want to talk about the entirety of his uh, production? 2.9 wins above replacement. Ahead of, excuse me, behind only Aaron Judge, Nolan Arenado, and Freddie Freeman. Only those three guys. We're talking about a switch hitting 24-year-old catcher. Lastly, and you could argue, I suppose, how much credit he deserves for this. But since that, uh, that, that date that I mentioned, Buster, about uh, two months going back here, the, the Orioles had the fifth-ranked pitching staff in baseball in terms of ERA. Leading up to that point, they ranked 21st. I, I don't necessarily believe in coincidences. Look, maybe, maybe you don't give Adley Rutschman all the credit in the world. But what we've seen from that kid over the last two months, the Orioles are 32-16 and 16 in those games over that period of time. I would be awfully optimistic if I were an Orioles fan right now, despite the fact and my team did a soft sell at the trade deadline. There is no obvious reason to me that this team won't be in at the last week or two of the season, and that kid is the biggest reason why. Yeah, I mean, going back to his days in college, uh, you know, his first days in pro ball, uh, the numbers jumped out at you right away. And I don't know about you, but when I you know look at prospects, my first numbers I look at are on ba- is on base percentage. That's the, that's mm-hmm. the very first thing, and I'm like, because that tells me a lot. Uh, first indication, you know, what's the command of the strike zone for the player? Uh, in 2021, you know, had a 397 on base percentage. 2022 in the minors, 417. Uh, and in the big league so far, 366, which is crazy for a rookie. So, yeah, I agree with you. And it's not often that you have a difference-making offensive player at that position. Mike Piazza, you know, is maybe one of the best examples in baseball history. That looks like what they have in him, uh, as you know, so far. All right, so... Tell me about uh, the best Final Four ever. Yeah, Buster, we've got Blue Bloods atop the standings this year. And if chalk prevails, we might well be looking at the best tandem of LCS matchups ever. Here's what I mean. So the Dodgers, the Mets, the Astros, and the Yankees are all on pace for more than 100 wins. Only once, only in 2019, was there ever a season that featured four 100-win teams. But that year, there were three in the American League and one in the National League, which means we are in line for the first season in history 
in which two teams from each league won 100 games. Now, these leagues have been playing concurrently since 1901, Buster. There, there have been a grand total of 16 postseason series ever between 100-win teams and only five in the championship series. I'm betting we get two of those this year. You used the phrase super team on the trade deadline special a couple weeks back. I really liked it. And that's a NBA, that's a basketball phrase. But I think you're right. We are seeing sort of the cream rise to the top in baseball this year in a way that we have rarely seen, creating sort of a league of haves and have-nots. And right now we have four haves in the sport that are having collectively as good a season as we've had in now uh, about 120 years of these leagues playing concurrently. Before you go, tell me if you agree with me that it is a big deal for the Yankees to get home field advantage. I think it's a really big deal for the Yankees to get home field advantage based upon their own history. The Yankees, uh, over the last five years or so, have been exceptionally good at home in the postseason and on the road have been, quite notably, not nearly as good. And when you consider, the, the I guess, the scope of the rivalry that they have with Houston, if we're going to sort of project an ALCS in which those two teams are locked up against it, a game seven at Yankee Stadium is a heck of a thing that's uh, much different than, of course, a game seven in Houston. It could make all the difference in the world. The Yankees have thrived in their home ballpark this season and have struggled mightily, like I mentioned, on the road in postseasons past. Look, look at the Garrett Cole blow-up game last year at Fenway. Uh, you mentioned in an email this, to me this morning, the game seven in 2017 against Houston. The Yankees have an enormous home field advantage in large part because of the fans, because of the ballpark, all the factors that go into it. For them to be in that environment this year, I think would provide them an enormous advantage. And the fact that they're slipping in the standings right now is absolutely a big deal. Yeah. And I feel like that the Astros had a thing on the Yankees right now that the Yankees Mm. are going to have to overcome if they face each other in the playoffs. There's a thing there where the Astros feel like we got these guys you know, we're, we're, we, we, they play with a lot of confidence against the Yankees. There's no doubt about it. All right, Hambo, thanks for doing this. Uh, and uh, thanks for help on Get Up this morning. All right, man. Later, bud. Get out of here, Hambo. Sick exactly of Hambo. Right. Jessica Mendoza is an analyst for ESPN on Major League Baseball. She also works for the Dodgers uh, Network on, uh, on their broadcast. And, Jess, you get to do some Little League games. Uh, and it just so happens this year that you are uh, one degree removed from some little leaguers who may wind up in Williamsport. Tell us about that, because that's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, I live in a small town called in Bend, Oregon, which most people have no idea where it is. And they confuse it with like North Bend, which is a golf course area that isn't even where I live. So Bend, Oregon, their little league, which is the little league that I coach in my son's team. Um, but the, the two years older, the 12s, um, have made it not only representing the state of Oregon, um, but now they're one win away from getting to Williamsport. They'll play the state of Washington and Bonnie Lake um, tomorrow night, or sorry, they'll play it this week and have a chance to be able to go to Williamsport. And it's crazy because like all around town, they've shut down restaurants, Buster, to have these viewing parties. My mom, my sister, my nephews, like everybody is like, painting their cars with like all the team members like you can't go get your hair done or do anything without everyone talking about this little league team it's pretty cool so if they wind up in williamsport tell me how you're going to handle that with espn are you going to say nope sorry got to recuse myself or you're going to be like i'm doing that game eduardo get out of the way i know Uh, kyle peterson get out of the way Uh, you know chris burke get out of the way none of you guys are touching these games Totally. And I don't mind being completely biased. No, (laughs) no, I I think, you know, and it's, it's like this with anyone who watches little league or is a part of it. There's always just great stories, but you're trying to 
really talk about the town they come from. Because all you know, half the time, it just says like west across their chest or northeast, right? They're representing an entire section of the country, not just the state, let alone the town, let alone the community and the people. And I've never been a part of this where I live somewhere where that little league team has advanced this far. So you really can see it and feel it. We always talk about it, right? Last 10 years that we've been doing little league games, but to actually get to experience. So yeah. So you're right. I'm elbowing out, boxing out, Eddie, KP, even Ravi. <laughs> so are you going to, let me, I'm curious, are your kids totally into it? My son, I coach um, his team. He's in nines. Um, so the 12s are the ones that are, that are the little league in Williamsport age. But um, my nephew plays in the tens. They actually made it all the way to the state championship, which was amazing. Um, but yeah, my son's been hitting. So he's been watching the games while playing a wiffle ball game in the backyard. So they come back in, they watch the game and then they go try to reenact, you know, Evan Guadalupe with the big double down the gap. And then they go do it and then they come back in and they watch again. <laughs> Nice. What kind of coach are you real quick? Are you like your dad who's a taskmaster? I try at this age for them to really have fun. Um, it's hard with your own. Oh, wait, I want to let everyone behind the curtain. I asked that question. We're doing this uh, interview on zoom and I could see it. I know Jess well enough to know that when you gave me that expression, you are basically acknowledging me with your expression. Like, Oh my God, I have to hold myself back from putting too much pressure on these kids. Yes. Well, no, putting too much pressure on my son. So I'm great with all the kids I coach, like <laughs> just have fun, enjoy the game. It's okay. If you make a mistake, like high fives, when it comes to your own kid, trying to do that same mentality is so hard. Not that I don't want him to have fun and any parent buster, you know, this that has had kids that they've ever coached at any level, it's difficult to balance that. I just want you to enjoy yourself, but really you need to hustle after that. Really, that's not okay that you just let that ball get by you. Okay, like just the reality of like knowing too much and knowing like how much they need to work to get to that next level while being like, but have fun while doing all these things I just told you to do. <laughs> yep, that's exactly right. I would give you one piece of advice. I coached my son Jake in basketball for four years and then we're getting ready for eighth grade. And I said, hey, you know, basketball's coming up. Do you want me to coach you? No. No. <laughs> and now that he's 18 years old, he's he's been dead honest about it. Yeah, he, he, Dad, it was a little intense for a eighth grade team. Like there's too much yeah. knowledge there. And I think he was on the he was like the the razor's edge of that because I would always use him in practice as an example. And and so I I asked him and, and I was dismissed by my son. So there yeah. you go. Oh, I hope that doesn't happen. I love coaching, at least this age, maybe when they get to, like you're saying, eighth grade, when there's more attitude. But right now, the eight and nine-year-olds, I mean, we just have so much fun. Yeah, I, I love doing it until I was fired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, we had the Dodgers on Sunday Night Baseball and uh, in a, being around them over the weekend, they were so impressive. Their offense is ridiculous. Uh, when I asked Dave Roberts about the difference in their offense from June 23rd, since then they're averaging about 5.7, 5.8 runs per game. He said, team baseball. You see the Dodgers a lot more than I do. Do you buy that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, first of all, let's be real. Yeah, Mookie Betts, Trey Turner, and Freddie Freeman. Those are your top three. And like Trey Turner and Freddie Freeman just don't get out. Like they have 
hitting streaks that are happening. They'll take a day off. Then they start another hitting streak. Like they're just constantly hitting back. They're like one and two in all of baseball for total hits. I think it's like 140 and 139 or whatever it is at this point, you know, um, they're top three in batting average in all of baseball along with Paul Goldschmidt. So that those are your two, two of your top three hitters. The other one is Mookie Betts. We know who Mookie Betts and everything that he's capable of. I like to highlight like a Gavin Lux who, when you look at the top five batting averages in all of baseball, Gavin Lux has been consistently up there. He was their nine hole hitter for most of the season. Now you're seeing him like six hole, seven hole. They're bringing guys up left and right too. We talked about James Outman and Miguel Vargas. Miguel Vargas is now back down, but like, yes, it is team baseball, but they also have these superpower names to the point where you have what would be the best hitter on probably like 15 other major league teams batting ninth in your lineup. Well, we had Cody Bellinger hitting ninth in our Jess, we had Cody Bellinger hitting ninth in our game on Sunday night. Uh, he just you hit know, two home MVP, runs. Right. And all he did was hit two <laughs> awful home runs. No. And that's, that's the reality of like where they're at. And honestly, the inner competition, which is real. I mean, if you don't perform now, I think it's a little different with Cody and Max Muncie. We've seen them kind of struggle more than we've ever seen them struggle, you know, at points this season. Um, but the faith that Dave Roberts has in them is definitely real, at least right now with this huge lead, but you see the competition. I mean, you look at trace Thompson ever since that he came over. I mean, he is absolutely annihilated every time he's been in the batting order and it, you know, Chris Taylor is now back when he was injured. It just, it goes on and on. I could, I could talk on and on Will Smith, who I didn't even mention, um, who I would argue is probably the second best catcher catcher in all the national league when it comes to offense and what he can do. Um, but yeah, this is a team that's very deep and it doesn't surprise me that runs per game because when they're all healthy, it's the best hitting team in baseball. So I, I tweeted out a number, uh, you and I are talking, uh, on, on, on a Wednesday evening that during this stretch of games, since June 23rd, they've more than, they've more than doubled the number of runs that their opponents have scored, which is just staggering, you know, for, for the team to be that dominant in baseball, you don't, you don't really see that very often. Um, all right. You in your work uh, doing Dodger broadcast, you have learned that Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts have struck up this great first year friendship as teammates. Yeah, I think one of my favorite things is just the bus rides on the way to the ballpark, you know, because it's a time when, you know, you get guys different phases, different doesn't matter what bus I pick. Sometimes it's the two o'clock, the three o'clock. Like I'm never really consistent of when I'm always heading to the field, but every time I pick a time, it seems to always be with Mookie and Freddie. They definitely are always together every bus. Um, and I laugh because it, sometimes it'll just be me and the two of them um, on this huge bus and no one else is on it. And I've used that as an opportunity to like, you know, obviously pick their brains, hear what they talk about. But one of the biggest things I, I asked once is, Hey, you know, are you guys going to hit on the field today? And Freddie immediately and looked at Mookie, they both smiled. And he's like, no, like that's something that Freddie eliminated a long time ago because he's like, you want to know what I do for my batting practice pregame? He's like, I sit in the batting cage and I hit weak ground balls to the shortstop because that's exactly what I, he's like, do you think any fans want to see that? You think if I'm coming out of the field and I'm hitting weak ground balls to the shortstop, he's like, but that's what I'm working on. And I don't want a big stadium and all that comes with it to change that pregame. And he influenced and Mookie immediately said, when he told me that, I was like, I'm going to do that too. And so Mookie just spends his time down in the cages working on what he needs to work on. He's like, I've taken a lot less swings because of Freddie and what he's talked about. You understand too, like every single game and you see this buster of, you know, the necessity of having to get there hours before, unless there's something specific you have to work on. 
But even then, I mean, as soon as Freddie gets off that bus, it always surprises me because within like 12 minutes, he's already in uniform on the field with Dino Evil working on his ground ball work, like literally backhands on his knees, doing all of that. It's not like he's showing up late and not working. He's get they get there a little bit later, get after it, but they also know to to save those swings for the entirety of the season, work on the small things, and then get after it. Yeah, when I asked Mookie about that the other day, which you had told me, his, what he his response was, yeah, that uh, you know, Freddie basically has helped him to trust himself, and you know that that that's been a good thing. And by the way, they're also dads of young kids, and yes. I think that's a that's a big part of it is to make sure that you you know, give that time to kids who, you know, that's their time and you have to give it to them. Um, you know, you mentioned where you live up in the greater Northwest. This has been a time of emergence for the Mariners. Uh, what are you seeing in them after the trade deadline coming out of the all-star break? Well, how about Luis Castillo? I mean, exclamation point underline. I mean, that was the trade I yeah. felt like of the entire, I know Juan Soto, Josh Bell, all of that was a huge deal. But Luis Castillo, to me, going over to the Mariners, to a team that we've talked about all the young talent they have. How about his last start against the Yankees, though? And that was like toe-to-toe. Oh, to, toe. to, to face the same lineup three times in like less than a month. Yes. He's had three starts against the Yankees, beginning with one just before uh, the All-Star break. I mean, he's been completely dominant. We've seen guys who you know move to a new market, who have that pressure put on themselves at the trade deadline, that they're the hired gun. He seems to be growing from being yes. that guy at the trade deadline. No, absolutely. And that's what I saw. I mean, just the confidence he has, of course, the stuff. I mean, I, in that game alone, and you're talking about one of the best lineups in all of baseball, that Yankees lineup, of course, Garrett Cole going toe to toe with them. It was a, it was a, to me, it was the game of the year, but Luis Castillo was one of the highlights. I mean, knowing that that is who the Mariners, and I, I don't care if you're a fan or you live in the Northwest or not, how are you not a fan? of getting this Mariners team into the playoffs to break this drought. If you're a fan of baseball, like you're rooting for Seattle. Like they might. Okay. I get it. You don't want them to win the world series. They don't want them to beat your team, but come on. Like, how do you not want them in the playoffs after 21 years, everything they've been through. And honestly, they're a fun team to watch. They just got better with Luis Castillo. Yeah. That's uh, I mean, what you just laid out was the reason why in 2016 in the world series, you were both excited and heartbroken for the two fan bases involved. You know, the Cubs, their first World Series since 1908. Uh, you know, they had an opportunity to win it. On the other side, the Indians haven't won a World Series since 1948. So anyway. All right, Jess, uh, have a good time with your sons. Uh, and I know you're about ready to take a trip, and I will talk to you soon. Yeah, no, tune in to all of these Little League games. They're sure fun to watch. Bleacher Tweets. Already Buster Bleacher tweets for a Thursday. First up, Elizabeth Hart at eHart Tweets writes in, why are you so convinced that Aaron Judge is the AL MVP, even if he hits 60-plus home runs? Otani is pitching better this year than last and continuing to do unspeakable things to baseballs with his bat. Elizabeth, I'm not. Uh, I uh, Earlier in the week, it's Tim Kirchin who's saying he's the MVP. Dave Schoenfield saying he's the MVP. I haven't been on record saying that yet. Taylor, back me up. That is true. You are just facilitating the dialogue. I can understand, you know, because Aaron Judge, he's kind of the first person that we talk about, you know, on the pod when we're talking about the AL MVP. But yes, Buster. Buster's been non-committal. I can vouch for that. Yep. I've been totally gutless so far in this call. I mentioned uh, Dave. I'm glad I'm not. I don't have that MVP vote. 
because that would be really hard for the reasons, Elizabeth, that you just laid out. Direct quote from Buster Olney, what Buster Olney said there. Uh, David at Dogfather, David Dogfather writes, and how about some love for the team with the second best record in the game? As a 50-plus year Mets fan, this team is a pleasure to watch, solid and professional on and off the field. Yeah, they've been fun to watch, that's for sure. Edwin Diaz, we had a long conversation about him the other day and whether or not he should be the Cy Young Award winner. Uh, just one element of a great team. Spray cheese and spreadsheets, our friend Kayaking Smith writes in. So, Buster, with Grissom here and Shoemake, sorry if I botched that, right behind him, how do you see this affecting contract talks with your Vandy man, Dansby? Whose infield is Swanson patrolling next year, Atlanta or another? Boy, uh, you know, and I know Dansby, and because uh, uh, as you mentioned, you know, both went to the same school. And he hasn't asked me this directly, you know, my thoughts on it. But what I would tell to him, tell him is that, look, your friend Freddie Freeman was in a very similar situation that you are. If you want to stay, then you need to be proactive in these conversations because we've talked about how there are a lot of other shortstops who are going to be out on the market and they've got, you know, other guys in the minor leagues. And I don't think the Braves, because this is a you know great window for them to compete for championships on a yearly basis, I don't think they'll go with a rookie. It's shortstop, but you know what? If they pivoted to Trey Turner in the offseason, that wouldn't shock me. If they pivoted to, um, you know, and Xander Bogarts is not the same caliber of defensive shortstop that Dansby is, but, you know, they're, they're you know, Carlos Correa, somebody. Um, the guy I, I really wonder about if the Braves will target in the offseason is Trey Turner. That would be interesting. Mr. Jakey RS is going to shut it down for the week. He writes in, I get that reporters have the right and the duty to ask important questions. I also get that many people want to celebrate on-field greatness without being bogged down by controversy or scandal. How do you think Rose should have handled that moment? Differently. (laughs) (laughs) I I think, you know, answering a question uh, from Alex Coffey and referring to her as babe, probably Mm. not a good way to go. If you don't want to address the whole question about the, the Phillies' decision to bring you back to the ballpark, then you should just refer to the Phillies because ultimately it is their decision uh, on whether or not to bring them back to the park despite that history. Just say, you know what, it's not my choice. Uh, Lee, you know, uh, you should contact the Phillies and ask them the, that question. Something, <laughs> something different. But to be demeaning in that way, to be sexist in that way, it was ridiculous. Literally anything but what he anything. did. Anything. <laughs> My God, that was terrible. And oh, we didn't even boy. play the moments when he's live on air and he's dropping all kinds of uh, stuff that had to be bleeped out. He's a mess. Older gentleman, too, which, you know, you, the, the filter is up. gone. Yes, totally gone. Maybe rethink putting a microphone in front of him, Philadelphia Phillies. That could be something you uh, you want yeah, to Yeah, you remember the grandma in the, the movie uh, Wedding Crashers? Yes. <laughs> She's at the table just saying offensive things. That's kind of where we are with Pete Rose at this point. <laughs> All right. What a way to shut the podcast down. Great week, everyone. Uh, we're going to be back at it next week. Buster going on vacation. So we'll have some guest hosts, uh, which is, you know, I'll miss you, Buster, for sure. But you you definitely need and deserve the time off. You're the hardest working guy I know. So enjoy it. Okay. Oh, and of course, I'm insecure enough when you say you need time off. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> anyway. All right. That's it for th- today. That's it for this week. My thanks to Carl, Hembo, Jess, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to talk about every single day. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites 
Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus Chews provides one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NexGuard Plus Chews.